Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Hey, everyone. You have reached the bonus edition of the Locked On NFL Network, and we have our first guest ever. I went, kept it in the uh, the Locked On family. Brought in Vincent for high. Hopefully I say your last name properly. I apologize if I don't, even though you just told me. He is our Locked On Seahawks guy. I became familiar with Vince a while back, actually, you know, I'm a big football outsiders guy, and I was really impressed with their work, and I, I noticed him back then. Really excited to have him on the network. Vince, what's going on, man? What all are you involved in nowadays? How you doing, Matt? It's good to talk, good to, talk to you. Yeah. Uh, I am involved in a lot. Uh, we, of course, are covering uh, every, uh, you know, the NFL season's underway. We're very, very busy over at Football Outsiders, cranking out daily content, nice. uh, breaking down every team statistically with a lot of college and pro, or excuse me, yeah, college and pro football content. And uh, be sure to check that or that out, everybody, at footballoutsiders.com. Uh, of course, I'm doing the Locked On Seahawks podcast, which if you're listening to the Locked On NFL pod- podcast, you should be able to find. But you can always reach us at LockedOnSeahawks at gmail.com. Uh, should I plug the wrestling site, too? Sure. Might as well. What's your Twitter account, too? Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at F-O underscore V-V-E-R-H-E-I, which is a brutal Twitter handle. And someday I will change I that, I promise. <laughs> but... You can also follow the follow the podcast uh, at Locked Seahawks. That's probably easier to remember. Uh, and then, of course, I cover uh, WWE and other pro wrestling podcasts over at F4WOnline.com. Oh, I didn't know that. Very cool. I used to be a huge wrestling fan as a kid. And uh, Casey Joyner, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Yes, sir. You guys do a lot of uh, different things together, I guess, in a way. Have some correlation. He's doing it now at ESPN. And on the Football Today podcast, we had uh, Ric Flair on, which was one of my was probably my favorite interview. It was better than Barry Sanders or Joe Green. Have, have Ric Flair on was pretty darn cool. I suspect Ric Flair was a better interview than Barry Sanders. Yes, that's well, a fact. That's on a fact. that note. On that note, as long as we're plugging this, we'll get this done and out of the way and actually yeah. talk about football for a while. But uh, one of the things we do at FWOnline.com is we don't just watch the current product, but we also go back and watch shows from the Monday Night Wars of the late '90s. And also some NWA Championship Wrestling from the 1980s. So we, we had, I just watched a show uh, Sunday night with Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, uh, and the Andersons at the Four Horsemen. It was a great show. Okay. So if you're, if you're into the good old days, we talk about that too. I say that's my era. I was born in 73, and the Road Warriors are my all-time favorite. You are not alone. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. And now his son is a linebacker. So how about exactly. that? Well, yeah, let's talk is. about football. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I'm recording this properly. I just wanted to do a state of the Seahawks situation. Um, I'm going to bring up a position, give you my five seconds on it, and then you expand on it, please. And let's start with quarterback. I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about here, except for I'm curious what you think about Wilson's current health situation. Do you, do you think he's all the way back? I don't. No, I don't, and you can see it in the rushing numbers. This is a guy who has averaged uh, at least 30 yards a game every year of his career rushing, mm-hmm. uh, up to 50 yards in 2014, 
And this year, uh, it was seven yards going into the Atlanta game. I don't think he had any rushes in that. He had one. Excuse me. He had one carry in that game and some kneel downs. So, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the scrambling element of his game is virtually gone. He's a pocket passer now. Uh, and uh, I'm not know, sure that's all bad, though. No, it's fine. Right, right. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's only bad if you own Russell Wilson in a fantasy league that emphasizes quarterback rushing yards, which most uh, most do, just accidentally. But um, as as far as the Seahawks offense goes, it's fine. He's uh he's not completely immobile. He's he's you know half of Russell Wilson is still more athletic than most quarterbacks. So he's just not a guy who's going to be scrambling for ten yards over and over again. But you know he had a play in this just in this Atlanta game uh, when they needed a field goal at the end to win. And it was third down, and he he's rolling right, and up come two giant 300-pound men to kill him. And as they're on his back dragging him to the ground, he still run, throws a pass in the run and converts the third down. And it led to the game-winning kick. So he's athletic enough to to play a passing quarterback in the NFL. Uh, the read option days are, for the time being, off the table, and he's not going to be the guy who's going to kill you with scrambles you know, as, as a runner over and over again. He's still going to leave the pocket pre- pretty frequently. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a different Russell Wilson in 2015, but not necessarily a worse Russell Wilson. Agreed. And moving to running back, I'm super impressed with Christian Michael. I think he's a legit number one running back in this league, and I don't throw that around loosely. But all of a sudden, they got a bunch of guys. You know, they pick up C.J. Spiller, and he's become useful and fits in really well. Procise and Rawls are still in the equation. I mean, obviously, good problems to have. Those last two I mentioned, just give me a, a, a state of the running back situation. You know, it's funny. Uh, I wrote a thing for, for Football Outsiders that was published last night, actually. And it was actually about the Cowboys. But it was mentioning top rushing, uh, passing, rushing, receiving trios over the years. You know, everyone thinks of the classic Cowboys triplets of Aikman, Smith, and Irvin. And uh, I was listing last year's Seahawks. They had the, uh, uh, I want to say it was like the, the they, had, they had a top five quarterback, wide receiver, and running back. And I mentioned this, and then in the writing, I typed out Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> and all you know, all the feedback was, hey, dummy, it's Thomas Rawls. And I thought, oh, my God, you're right, it is Thomas Rawls. But that just shows you how quickly Thomas Rawls exploded out of nowhere last year and how quickly he has fallen off the radar. Uh, he came back off a broken ankle at the end of the season last year, and now he has a broken bone in his leg. And so he has barely played at all this season. Uh, 19 carries to 25 yards is what Thomas Rawls has done in 2016. Conveniently, I had that open. Uh, so, yeah, Kristen That's Michael's the number one. <laughs> I, I should have lied. <laughs> I've memorized all stats since Sunday's game. No, uh, Kristen Michael is the number one guy. He's played very well, and, he, you know, the Seahawks line has been a disaster. Uh, I think they had about two good halves, really. They were very good in the first half against New York, and uh, I think they were good against San Francisco. They were okay against Atlanta, but Atlanta's defense isn't very good. But... Uh, yeah, they're, they're they're missing holes. They're missing block, uh, missing defenders all over the place. So Michael's had to do a lot of it on his own. And uh, you look around at what else is there. C.J. Precise, a guy I was so excited about when they drafted, because they haven't had a really good receiving back since like Ricky Waters. Uh, but he's but he has a broken hand, which makes it hard to catch. So he's pretty much sidelined. Uh, they signed C.J. Spiller off the street, and he caught a t- touchdown pass against the Jets like three days later or whatever it was. Alex Collins is the fifth-round pick, and he's getting the backup carries right now. Uh, and then Thomas Rawls, when he come, whenever he gets back. So, yeah, that's like five viable running backs they have on the, at, at this point. Would you think Procise is more of a 2017 type of guy now at this point, then? The, you know what? That's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, only thing that's wrong with him is, is he's got a broken hand, and there's a huge, giant cast on it, which, you know... As as a running back or a receiver is pretty much a, 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 a non-issue. Um, I haven't 
honestly heard they haven't written him off for the year. Uh, they're hoping he can come back. And if he can come back because he has that specific spot in the offense, I think he can still be a factor late in the season or in the playoffs. Okay, uh, interesting. Wide receiver. My take is I'm in love with Tyler Lockett. I think he might be the player in the league that explodes from nothing to big-time difference maker in the second half of the season. That is entirely possible. He was the guy, you know, like uh, Procyus. I was very excited when Seattle drafted him because he was such a great fit in the offense. Uh, he had 600-some yards last year and six touchdowns, and most of those in the second half of the year. Uh, this year has had... I believe it's a knee issue, knee, knee or foot issue, but yeah, he had a big catch in the Rams game and has been silent since then. Uh, has he hasn't technically missed any games, but only uh, only 11 catches on the year, so is very very much a non-factor thus far. Um, but like you say, yeah, he's a big play threat, uh, kick returner receiver type. Doesn't have to be the number one receiver in this offense. Really, he's he'll never be more than the third receiver in this offense behind Baldwin and, and Jimmy Graham, at least not in 2016. Um, so he, so he can be the guy who kind of slips under the radar and burns, burns defenses for big plays. Cause he's not facing the top corners and not getting double coverage. So yeah, if, when he gets healthy, uh, he absolutely could be that guy. Yeah. And you mentioned Graham and I think he's been one of the, the best stories of the season so far across the league. I mean, I love this guy before the injury. I was super excited when Seattle traded for him. You know, they gave a Max Unger, a good center and a first round pick. And I think we're finally getting to see what they had in mind, you know, and it's really gelling well. It seems like he is Wilson's favorite guy right now. Yeah, it was – people were kind of down on that trade even before the injury last year. And I think I think the uh, – it was overstated what a bad deal it was. At the time of his injury, he was still te- leading the team in receptions. So it's not as if he was completely invisible. Yeah. Um, now, they did take off after he got hurt. Um, that's a coincidence thing. And he comes back this yeah, year. I don't think that was directly related to one another either. No, I, 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 and I haven't actually heard anyone say it was Jimmy Graham holding the offense back. If anyone did, you should just stop talking with them. They're not worth, you know, actually speaking to. But uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it is, it is, a, it is a coincidence, but a fact that the offense took took off after Graham got hurt last year. Uh, they they started they changed they cha- they also changed centers because they started the year with they started the year the first half of the year with a converted defensive lineman trying to play starting center in the NFL, and it was apocalyptic. It's not a too strong a word. Um, so when they went back to just a standard bad center, things took off greatly from there, too. And they changed to more of a three-step and go passing game that was much more effective as well. But getting back to this year in Jimmy Graham, uh, people, it, it's kind of underreported how amazing his comeback has been because the torn patellar tendon used to be a career-threatening injury. And uh, there were question marks about what Graham would, if he'd be able to play in week one. He ended up playing very little and had just one catch. And since then, he's been the man. And he's been making big catches downfield, big catches down the sideline. And uh, from the from the tight end or playing the slaughter split out wide, he's been very effective in all three roles. And he's not he hasn't passed Baldwin in the receiving numbers yet, uh, but I'm pretty sure he's going to when all is said and done. Yeah, he's really been something. And like everyone, I mean, I'm not alone on this, but looking at the offseason – as seems like every offseason, I looked at their offensive line and said, this is a nightmare. They're asking too much of Tom Cable. Um, but, you know, they've, they still go to the Super Bowl every year or have great seasons with bad offensive lines anyways. Uh, do you think it's any better? Or is, is it merely bad and not horrific? Or is it apocalyptic, as you said? Give, give me a, a, an adjective to describe the offensive line as we stand. 
for two games, it was a horror show against yeah. Miami and then against the Rams. Just just a nightmare. It was a, it was not an NFL caliber offensive line, not a second string NFL caliber offensive line. They played much better the next week against uh, San Francisco. Then they are actually really good for a half against the Jets because the Jets have that those you know they have three four with the you know Muhammad Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson up front and and they for a half really really I thought outplayed the Jets in the second half the Jets pretty much uh, handled handled the line of scrimmage but it was you know the game was won by that point um, and they've been they were okayish against Atlanta they they made some mistakes. Uh, the overwhelmed them in the running game sometime. I think it's definitely fair to say they're much better as run blockers than pass blockers right now. Um, but right uh, as of right now, I would probably say they're uh, maybe 25th as an offensive That's line. That's right, though. <laughs> I yeah, mean, the, they were 32nd to begin the season in everyone's standards. They may have been 40th at the beginning right, of the season. Right, right. But, yeah, they've, they've improved greatly to merely being very bad. And that's kind of what they do, you know. I mean, this isn't an uncommon theme for them that the line no. gets better as it matters more deep in the season. No, and and, and it's partly by design too. Um, my favorite preseason stat, and I've, I, off the top of my head, I've forgotten the exact number, but their uh, their combined cap hit for all ten offensive linemen was something like eight like million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And obviously they're spending their money in other places, like on defense. And second, they have the highest paid secondary in the league. So right. that's that's a choice they've made, and you can't argue with, with those results. And it's funny, a lot of the, the common fans will be like, man, it's unbelievable that they're not going out and getting you know big money at the guard position or centers or whatever. It's like, well, you can't have everything. You know, I mean, you're not yeah. going to cut Richard Sherman to do it or, you know, tell oh. you know get rid of Earl Thomas, you know, I mean, and Russell Wilson's now expensive. So you have to make decisions and every team does it. You know, Carolina doesn't pay defensive backs. You know, it's just you have to figure out a, a team method and that's working obviously extremely well for Seattle. There actually was talk over the offseason. And I don't know how serious it was, but there were rumors that they were exploring parting ways with Jimmy Graham. Just for money reasons. Just for purely financial reasons. Huh. And uh, it didn't work. You know, it never happened. I like I said, I don't know if this was, uh, I don't know where this was coming from or what, how accurate this was, but obviously it didn't happen, and that worked out in Seattle's favor. Absolutely. And maybe some of that was medical driven. That hey, we don't know if we'll be able to come back, or you know. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the defense, and it's always great. It's always amongst the best two or three in the league, but this year. I think it's actually being overlooked a little bit. You know, Minnesota's got the best defense we've ever seen, and Denver was so good last year. Seattle's every bit as good as those two. It's funny. Um, I'm right when we started this, I'm in the I'm in the middle of preparing for, for the Lockdown Seahawks podcast today, doing the Minnesota Seattle comparison, and uh, everyone's in love with Minnesota right now, and they should be. Minnesota's right. outstanding, and not no disrespect to them. Um, so far through five games, it looks that. Um, Actually, uh, Football Outsiders ratings just went up, and through six weeks, they still have Seattle as the number one defense, just a just a hair above Minnesota, close enough that it really makes no difference. Okay. Um, but overall, it looks like Seattle is better against the run, and Minnesota is better against the pass. And uh, haven't broken down too much on Minnesota yet, so I can't come in and comment on them. But Seattle's front seven this year has been every bit as good as the ba- as the secondary, if not better. Uh, they, they dominate runs in the middle. Michael Bennett was a force of nature against Atlanta before he got hurt. Um, he played about half a game, and and, and this I, I was aware of how good he was when he w- was playing. But when I actually looked at the numbers after the game, he played about half a game, and he had he didn't have any sacks, but he had five quarterback hits where he put Matt Ryan on the ground. 
The Falcons in the same game as a team only had five hits. Wow. Yeah, so I Seattle actually, Seattle owned that matchup out in front of both sides of the ball. I actually just mentioned that on the air on a different podcast saying, I don't think it's an accident that Atlanta started to do some things on defense when Bennett was out of the game. And, oh, by the way, the Seahawks uncharacteristically blew a coverage or two. You know, like, I give Atlanta credit, but they had a couple bounces go their way in the second half. Skippy ahead of that game for a second. We'll come back to the defense. But my, my take on that as a Seahawks observer, and I think it's, it's fair to call me a Seahawks fan. Uh, I try to be impartial as an analyst. But when I look at that game, the uh, in that third quarter, two of those touchdowns came on wide open blown coverages. Right. Seattle also had a field goal. They had a bad snap on a field goal that missed and then had an extra point blocked. Would you take those four plays? They handed Atlanta 18 points on a platter and were still able to get a comeback win against a good team. Yeah. So everyone's that, that talking was about my, the pass interference call and all that, but Seattle can, took it to them. We can talk about that too. That's a, that's a fair thing to talk about. But yeah, for, for Seattle's defense in the first half was unbelievable. Then they played the worst quarter I've seen them play in probably before Pete, since Pete Carroll was hired, and they were able to uh, win and get the break on the pass interference play at the end. But uh, yeah, um, it was it was a hell of a game. Anyway, getting back to the front seven. Yes, Michael Bennett is the uh, world wrecker right now. Uh, Cliff Averill also is a, a beast at the other end. He had this strip sack that set up Seattle's first touchdown. Uh, the, the 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 middle has been the, the defensive tackles have been uh, stout with a top of Ruben, and of course you got Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright at linebacker cleaning things up. So the the Legion of Boom gets is is, is uh, you know they get the headlines, and Richard Sherman is always the center of attention because he makes himself the center of attention. But the front of this defense is just as good as the back end. Yeah. I- a couple notes from from my perspective is I thought, you know, Earl Thomas started a little slow. You know, he had a shoulder surgery and maybe he wasn't quite himself in recovering. And in this last game, he looked like himself. I still think he's the best safety in the world and a great player. Um, and I don't think we need to talk about Earl and Sherman and Wagner. And um, no, I think they're, they're the same. They're great. But I wanted to bring up just a couple guys that maybe not all of my listeners know who they are. And what your take and what you think the team's take is on them. And that's Jerron Reed, Frank Clark. I know he's injured right now. Uh, Casillas Marsh. And Jeremy Lane. Actually, and Deshaun Sneed as well. Shed and Lane are virtually split time. They're, they're simply mm-hmm. both starters at quarterback, cornerback. Because Seattle plays a lot of nickel these days. Uh, the one thing that has changed a lot since Chris Richard took over as defensive coordinator in last year, uh, Richard Sherman always stayed on the left-hand side most of the time. And since Dan Quinn left and and uh, Chris Richard took over, Sherman moves around a lot more now. And he will follow guys to the, to the side, to the, to the right side. He will follow guys to the slot. He was covering Julio Jones at least half the time uh, on Sunday, no matter where Jones lined up. So uh, it's a lot more mobile now than it used to be. While so, you mentioned that, though, but he's not exactly Deion Sanders playing man coverage against Jerry Rice all day long and no help. Absolutely not. Right. No. Okay. Uh, the, the Seahawks base scheme, uh, it's a cover. It, their, their base scheme is a cover three, where it's basically uh, Earl Thomas. Right. Yeah. Earl, Earl Thomas plays center field and takes away everything deep. And the cornerbacks have the luxury of knowing that. And that changes the way they can play. Uh, as great as no Sherman is not just it's not a one-on-one game with him he but he plays his he plays his one part in he 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 fits as a great cog in the machine well said and you yes. you agree with me that Earl Thomas is the more valuable player of the two 
I this question comes up all the time when I do national shows, and and yes, I think Earl Thomas. I think Earl losing Earl Thomas me right is he is just as important as Russell Wilson, or maybe it's a little bit less. Hmm. But wow. they can't play their defensive scheme if Earl Thomas is not on the field. It changes everything they do. I think he's a Hall of Famer if he quits today. Uh, that's possible. Well, he's been, I mean, maybe another year or two, but I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, the, the, when I look when I look at this team, the the, the, the Seahawks of recent years, uh, the the guys who I think have are going to have Hall of Fame candidacy, candidacy cases are Thomas Sherman, Russell, and uh, obviously Marshawn's done. But I think I can make a case for him stronger than most people realize, just but mo- mostly based on how great he was in the postseason. Who are the num- Who are the names again? Thomas. Uh, Earl Thomas. I say yes. Richard Sherman. 50-50. Uh, well, I'll keep again. You know, we're, we're halfway through these guys' careers right, as well. Right, of course. Yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson. Probably. And the one guy who has done is Marshawn Lynch. I say probably not on him, but close. I, I, I don't think he will, but I think I can make a stronger case. Uh, from the point the Seahawks traded for him to the point he retired, if you include playoff games, he was the NFL's leading rusher. And if you look at only playoff rushing yards, he was he had the most playoff rushing yards this century, but by a wide margin. Behind so, a not so great offensive line, always. Yes, and he, and he was the kind. and he was the best offensive player on a pair of Super Bowl teams and won one ring. So, uh, w- w- without the postseason credentials, I don't think it's really an argument at all. But with them, I think is a very strong case. Yeah, I hear uh, you. That's a good point. Yeah, um, a lot of backs though. I mean, obviously, it's not an easy position to go. That is um, also true. I'm not sure Jimmy Graham doesn't. I mean, I think it's possible. That's an interesting one. Was he on? Off the top of my head, I don't know if he was on the same Super Bowl team. The, I don't That's think a good so. Question. I, think was, I don't know. Yeah. Um, People weigh that be too hard. much, though. But it's going to be hard for him just because he's he's playing in the same era as Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski and Gronk is better. Yes. And so <laughs> that, right. that, that, yeah, uh, that that's a case, strike against him. No doubt. I didn't plan on going uh, Hall of Fame talk. You know, I was talking more about today. But um, how about those other couple guys? Really, the last thing we'll talk about is: Are they happy with Jerron Reed, big, powerful, run stuffer type guy? In the he doesn't look like Brandon Mebay when he comes in the room, but I think he's kind of playing that same role. Correct? Yeah, they're very happy with Jerron Reed. Uh, like I say, he he's one of the, t- the 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 he's one of the guys who's clogging the middle on runs that I forgot to mention earlier. I should have I should have given him mention there. And uh, Marsh, they, they, Marsh is a guy who just kind of hung around as a backup on this team for quite a few years now, and uh, had a, some opportunities on Sunday after you know Clark Frank Clark was hurt, and then Bennett left the game. And what he's had an unfortunate streak this year of getting big sacks on third and long, but then committing penalties to give the other team a first down. That's a problem. It's happened two or three times now, uh, either roughing the pass or a face mask or something, and uh, it's just unfortunate. <laughs> But, you know, the, uh, the the fact that they've been so, you know, they, they keep bringing him back. They, uh, they, like, they like him as a backup pass rusher. Um, the fact that this team has, shows faith in him, you know, they, they don't make him any mistakes in talent evaluation. And uh, But they sort of use him in the Bruce Irvin role. Uh, a little bit. Um, Not as good, you know. Irvin, strange. Um, he really was a do-it-all kind of guy in Seattle. His sack numbers were never huge. And everyone talks people, about him like he just lines up with his hand in the ground, and comes off the edge. It's not what yeah. he does. He really was. He was the closest thing they had to a traditional four, three outside linebacker. 
He'd rush the, they, they, they would put him as a – when they went to like a nickel, they would use him as a rush end sometimes. But his main job was to contain runs on the outside and really play a lot of pass coverage. Um, Marsh is more of a straight-up defensive end. And, uh, and so is Frank Clark, who was a guy who – when they drafted Clark, I thought that's the guy because uh, Irvin was going into his last year when they drafted Clark mm-hmm. and had already made, made noise that you know he's, he'd be looking elsewhere. So I figured they, they knew he had, they had one year left of him, and I figured they drafted Clark to replace him. And it hasn't worked out that way. He's pretty much been a straight defensive end, too. He's 20 pounds heavier, though. Well, yes. Yeah, That's another okay. reason. <laughs> Along those lines, I, I didn't plan on going down this direction either, and it's something you and I have never talked about, and I'm just curious if you see it the same way. I mean, as a personnel guy, you know, I have a scouting background. One of my favorite things about – my favorite thing about the Seattle scheme – is they can't they don't turn their backs on any type of player. I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way, but you know some teams. You know, like I grew up in Pittsburgh, and they didn't need Warren Sapp. You know, give me Casey Hampton, give me Aaron Smith. You know, but Warren Sapp, nah, he's not really on our draft board. Well, I look at at, at the uh, who are we talking about Seattle and think they can use you know Casey Hampton that can be their Jerron Reed, can be their Mebane. They can use Sapp as the defensive tackle next to him. They can use the five technique as the big um, branch type of you know defensive yeah. end. They can use three, four defensive ends. Their safeties aren't interchangeable, you know. So it's not like you know strong safety comes up on the board. We can use them, you know. It, it, the, even their linebackers. I mean, they have a pure Sam linebacker and KJ Wright. Then they have a run and hit guy. So like every type of defensive player that pops up on their draft board, they have a spot in their defense for. And I think that's really unique, and it gives them a bigger deck of cards to draft from. No, that's definitely true. Uh, the quote they've used is, uh, don't tell me what a player can't do, tell me what he can do, and we'll find a way to fit that into our system. And yeah. and it, you've seen the way the front's changed. Uh, you know, when they, when they took over this team, and they being Pete Carroll and John Schneider, there's a guy on this team named, named Red Bryant who was just kind of a... Yeah mediocre defensive tackle at best. And they said, well, let's take a look. Let's find something different to do with this guy. They put him out as a five technique defensive end, almost a three, four look. And all of a sudden he started wrecking people. And, uh, I think he's out of the league now. It was a few years ago, but you know, they, they took the same that cam chancellor. He was on the team when they joined and he was just a, a, a an oversized safety. And no one was quite sure what to do. And they said, well, what we're going to do, we're going to get a, a Pro Bowl caliber free safety behind him. We're going to let this guy roam the short zones. And if anyone catches the short pass in front of him, it's his job to kill them. <laughs> so and they took out what – yeah. And they, they don't he, – he's never playing – you'll never see him playing a deep zone coverage. Uh, you'll see him in man coverage sometimes. Sometimes he, sometimes he gets burned there if you watch the Vikings playoff game last year. Sure. But, but they don't focus on that. They focus on what he can do. And what he can do – is play that kind of robber coverage, take away the short crossing routes, and come up and be a hell of a run stuffer. Yep, exactly. And I think they do that at every one of their positions better than any defense in the league. Uh, that's probably probably safe to say. The record kind of speaks for itself on that one. Absolutely. Well, Vincent, this has been a blast. Uh, you, I am very honored to have you as our first guest. I urge everyone to check you out on Twitter. I know you have a terrible Twitter handle. I apologize for that. It's probably hurt, <laughs> hurting your following a little bit. And certainly the Locked on Seahawks network. Anything else to uh, – any other notes before we roll? You know, I would plug my stuff again, but I don't need yeah. to be that much of a shill. We covered that. <laughs> Just real quick, <laughs> lockedonseahawks at gmail.com. Drop me a line. Follow us at uh, facebook.com slash lockedonseahawks. And uh, on Twitter, at Locked Seahawks. Very, very good. 
Great, man. I highly, highly appreciate it. All right. Thank you, sir.